Good morning. Usually there's a video, a little delayed there. Um, Nate's not here this morning, as you can tell. Uh, he is taking some time with his family. Well-deserved rest. For those who don't know me, I'm Wayne. I work mostly with the music team. I do fill the pulpit on occasion as well as lead an MC and, well, do whatever else I need to be done that I can help out with here. Nate finished up a series last week, a five-week series on overcoming. It was great. Really, really powerful series on how we can overcome this life, basically, in view of all the things that go on around us. But this week, we jump back into Exodus. So if you would, turn to Exodus 5, chapter 5. We're going to do this nice short passage that Nate gave me to preach. We'll have a talk when he gets back. As you turn there, allow me a little bit of time to remind you where we are in this epic tale of God's adventure so far. Because it is interesting. Remember we started out with Exodus. Uh, just briefly, uh, Moses was born. They hid him away from uh, being killed as was decreed by Pharaoh. He ends up, in the long story, getting, uh, getting raised in Pharaoh's palace as one of uh, the children of Pharaoh, if you will. When he was about 40 years old, being a Hebrew, he saw one of his Hebrew brothers being beaten by an Egyptian. So he goes out to uh, fix the problem and ends up killing the Egyptian and burying him. Finds out the next day that people know about it. So what's he do? He flees. At 40 years old, he runs from Egypt into a land called Midian. But on the way, while he's at Midian, he helps some shepherdesses water their flock. He's invited to the house, and lo and behold, he ends up getting married. And uh, he's given a wife, and he has two sons. He's out shepherding one day, about 80 years old, comes across this bush that's burning up but it's not being consumed, as we know, was God speaking to him through that time. So at that point in time, God gives him his marching orders to go into Egypt, go and let his people confront Pharaoh and get his people, get Israel, get the Hebrews away because they've been enslaved for 400 years, as was prophesied. We'll talk more about that. So he gets with his brother Aaron after some Haman and Han, they come into Egypt. And that's a real short, short synopsis of where we are coming into chapter 5. Chapter 5 is a very uh, pivotal chapter. It takes us from this beginning of Moses to turning the corner. We go into the ten plagues after this. So it's a very transitional chapter. It's also a lot going on. So we're going to read it in sections. and We're going to, we're going to do a lot of summarizing to get the idea of what's going on. Um, as Perry and I were talking, we could read through this and probably spend three or four weeks in this alone. But let's see what we get to go with. But before we get there, how about we pray one more time? Father, thank you that you love us enough to give us a whole book full of your words and your heart and your desire and your plan for all of creation. And you choose us, those that are made and created in your image, to take the word of God to a lost and dying world and to rescue each other out of trials and troubles and to steadfast, stand fast no matter where or what goes on. Open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to hear your word. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let's look at uh, 1 through 14. We'll start there this morning. Well, I like to look at this and say God picks a fight. Chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, 
The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses, Aaron, why do you take the people away from their works? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters and the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose upon them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid to the men, and that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and gather straw for yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work. Your daily task each day is when there was straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had sent over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today as yesterday, as in the past? Lovely, lovely way to start. And, you know, Moses and Aaron boldly go to Pharaoh and tell him what God says. I find that very interesting. Pharaoh's not just some guy hanging around on a street corner. He's the king of Egypt. He is considered a god. He just a, a, a snap of his fingers, you're dead. He can wipe out nations. and It's just amazing that God allows us to go on. Moses that ran away 40 years previous comes back into Egypt with his brother to talk to Pharaoh about letting the people go. Now, of course, Pharaoh, of course, boxed at this statement that he does not know the Lord, sets the stage for the next several chapters. And I believe and suggest that statement sets the stage for the whole of Scripture, is to know God. But Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord. There were many gods in Egypt, just like Paul in Athens. There were hundreds of gods. But Pharaoh did not know, he did not believe in or know of Yahweh, the Father God. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know him. And that's God's whole plan through this whole thing. You know, it reminds me of Psalm 46.10. One of my favorite psalm verses is Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. That's a beautiful thing. But the second half can get a little dicey if we're not careful. He says, I will be exalted among the heavens. I will be exalted among the earth. God's glory is preeminent throughout all of Scripture. Don't ever misplace that thought. God's glory is preeminent through all of Scripture. If he truly is God, and he is, and he says who he is, and he creates everything, and there's no one higher, then no one else should get more glory than God himself. But that can be a little troublesome for the people that he has created and left here on earth sometimes, and that's what we're going to see. So anyway, Moses and Aaron state their case a bit more fully, thinking that maybe Pharaoh will relent if they push him a bit. But this does not work too well. Now Pharaoh responds by reminding them of the work they have to do, and that Moses and Aaron are taking the people from their work. Get this, folks. As you probably well know, the secular world never understands the sacred. You go to work every day, you want to share Jesus. You go to work every day, you want to be a Christian. You go out in the world, and you're out there, and they do not understand the sacred. 
They were religious or spiritual people, but they did not understand the truth of Scripture because they did not know God. Though many gods were known among Egypt, when Pharaoh, being king, considered a god himself, they knew not one true living God, Yahweh. So we presented in this first five verses of this problem. God wants to be known in Egypt. He wants to be known among them, and he's going to prove it. So we pick it up in 6, 14 through 14. As the conversation progresses, Pharaoh decides he's had enough. Instead of letting the Hebrews go and worship, he makes things worse for them. Isn't that what Moses was told back in chapter 4 would happen? Look back in verse 21, if you can flip there, of chapter 4. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God told him, I'm going to bring problems into this situation. Is it any different for us? Jesus says, you will have trials in this life. <laughs> Take heart, young flock. I have overcome the world. God puts us in these places. Boy, oh boy, it seems tight, doesn't it? Anybody here besides me a little claustrophobic? You get up in the attic and you get down to where that, maybe you're doing some roof up there, you're putting insulation in with the top and the roof. And the, oh my gosh, that gets a little scary. God likes us in those places. He likes to put the pressure on us. He likes to put us in places that we can't fix the problem, but he can. So instead of letting them go, Pharaoh accuses them of being lazy and wanting more time off. Religious festivals were nothing new to Egypt. By law, by law decreed in Egypt, they, if there was a god and they had a festival, no one could work. And some of these festivals were 8 and 10 and 14 days long. So God's like, oh, look, I can't do another three days off, guys. You've got to build my cities. You've got to build my, my little kingdom on earth. So the taskmasters, who are Egyptian, tell the foremen, who are Hebrews, they tell them the good news. They have to continue to make the same amount of bricks for Pharaoh's building programs. But now they have to gather their own straw and mix it in the product. Now, this was not just straw laying around hither and yon. Basically, what this was was the stalk. After you took the ears of corn off and they had to be processed and chopped into smaller pieces, it's very time-consuming. It's not like you were taking out a garden rake and just scraping up stuff and putting it together. This is going to add a tremendous amount of problems and work to their day. And they're told, do that along with making the same amount of bricks. In other words, here's an impossible situation. What do you think about that, Moses? Well, this, of course, resulted in someone having to pay for the price of the failings of the Hebrews. And that, of course, were the foremen. We look back in here at around 14, and the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and asked, why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today? Someone had to pay. Isn't it great to be in leadership? You know, middle management? I've been there. Middle management. Pop, try being a pastor. What do you think, Perry? Man, it's tough. You can't please the people that you're trying to serve, and you can't please the, God, the people that you work above and below. It's difficult. These Hebrews were chosen to be in the middle of this, and the taskmasters would tell the Hebrew foreman to go tell your people to do the work that our Pharaoh is saying. But if they don't do the work, I'm going to beat you for it. Again, God likes to put us in very trying times. Excuse me. There we go. So we take this opening big section, and I've really condensed it way, way, way down. And it boils down to this. 400 years earlier, 
spoken to Moses or thereabouts time-wise, or spoken to Aaron, Abraham, it was told that the, the um, Israelites would go into Egypt. They would prosper, they would grow, and they have. They'd multiply, and they have. But they would be there and be enslaved for 400 years, which they were. But God would come and set them free. 15 to 21. Let's pick this up a little bit and continue on. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, and yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You're idle. You're idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you still must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce the number of bricks your daily task each day. So they went and met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, and as they came out from Pharaoh and said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the eye of sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Leo? Thank you. Sorry, that's Kentucky stuff. I'm getting a little dry up here. As we look on to this, we need not pass, get past verse 15 too quickly. What happens here? The people are crying out to Pharaoh for help. The people are trying out to the same one who put them in bondage and in slavery for help. But what happened earlier? Look back in verse Chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out into a land of good and broad and land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Back in chapter 3, the people cry out to God, Save me! Save me! I'm in trouble! And now when the trouble comes, when the things don't look good, they turn right back to what they used to do. They ended chapter four, chapter 4 in worship, and the people believed, and they had heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and he had seen their affliction, and they bowed their heads in worship. They said, yes, thank you, God, you've come. My salvation is complete. I rest in you. But as soon as things go sour, they turn right back to the world and ask for help. How? Do we not do that the same? I do. It's so easy to go back to the world and trust in God and his timing. Our answers to life and its myriad of problems will not be found in the secular world, only in the sacred. Now, don't get me wrong. God may use the secular world to answer our problems and petitions and prayers, but make no mistake, it is always God behind the work being done. James 1.17 Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadow. Get that. Every good and perfect gift. You got out of bed this morning, you got good health? Thank God. You got money in the bank or a roof over your head? Thank God. Did you walk here? Did you drive a car? Whatever it is, you had the ability to do what's going on. Thank God, because everything good comes from God. And all praise should go back to him. And we should not go back to the world to look to solve our problems any longer. He may use them for his glory and to give us what we need. But we've got to lean into God on this. 
So Pharaoh continues to berate the Hebrews, telling them that they are idle, making them think they're lazy because they cannot keep up with the work they have been given. And look at verse 19. The foremen of the people saw they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks and daily tasks. What do they see? They look at this this monstrous thing in front of them, this task that they can't believe. They look at the mountain in front of them, and they're like, I can't do this. What am I supposed to do? They cry out to Pharaoh. Did it remind you of anybody in Scripture? Think about that for a second. New Testament. How about Peter? Peter's great. I don't know about you, if I can resonate with Peter. Sticks his foot in his mouth all the time. He's always one to step up front and say, yeah, something's got to be done. I'll do it. I'm going to die for you, God. I can do all these things. And when trouble comes, he three times denies Christ, and off he goes. Yeah. What about another little story of Peter? Remember when they were put in the boat, the disciples, and Jesus says, go to the other side of the lake, and I'll catch up with you later. He went to the mountain to pray. When he saw they were in trouble, what did he do? He comes strolling across the top of the water. Waves going crazy. Here's Jesus walking on the water. And what does Peter say? Right? Lord, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come on. So Peter starts walking on the water until verse 30 of chapter 14 of Matthew. But when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he became afraid and began to sink. And he shouted, Lord, save me. I love Peter. I'll step right out of the boat. Let's step on the water and gloss. Just, just like Jesus, right? But when things go sour, he freaks out because he saw the problem ahead of him, instead of looking at his God. Now, we'll say one thing for Peter. He did what the Hebrews did not. When things were bad, he went to God instead of the culture. He went to Jesus. You see, think about this. It's always darkest before the dawn, isn't it? Always. Or how about Scripture? Weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The, the people started with worship, but they ended with worry. They look to the problem instead of the provider, or they embrace the situation instead of the Savior. We fear the crisis instead of the Christ. God never said it's going to be easy down here as believers. When I was saved at the church I was at, it was tradition you went forward and, you know, I want to accept Jesus. And there was a whole long line of people that came and congratulated me. It was really cool. And I'll never forget what one lady said. She goes, I'm so happy for you. Hold on, it's going to get tough. What a prophetic word that was, because it's not been that easy. If you've been a Christian more than a little while, you understand. The world's still fallen. God's still on his throne. We're guaranteed heaven. We're guaranteed the eternal resting with him. But the journey is still within a fallen and broken and hurting world. God doesn't say it's going to be easy. And so what happens with the foreman? They get beaten. They go to Pharaoh. They cry out to him. And as soon as they come out, they see Moses and Aaron. And what do they say? Hey, guys, it went great. Pharaoh didn't relent. We got all this big mess to deal with. It's wonderful. No, they go, it's your fault. It's your fault because you are doing what God said to do. You've given Pharaoh a sword with which to kill us. It's easy to fall into those traps. It's easy to fall into the traps. It's own song, all the poor and powerless. That's who we are. But isn't that how God's glory is perfected in lives and in the world? Paul says when we are weak, we are strong. 
God's glory is going to be preeminent. He's going to put you and me and a church and the world in a place where our only answer and our only hope is Jesus. Let's finish this up this morning. Bear with me a second, please. We're going to finish up with them. These last two verses, <clears throat> but as well, we're going to look at verse 6-1 because it's very important. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Translation. This is my speaking. You need to get with the program, God. This isn't going the way I planned. If you would ask me, I'd let you know what I think is best in this situation. Right? Folks, Moses' response is not unlike that of Adam and Eve in the garden. They had one prohibition. One prohibition. Do not treat eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? One thing. You've got the whole world at your hand. One thing not to do. And what do they do? I think you're hiding something from me, God. The serpent said, that's not really what you meant. So I'm going to take things in my own hand. I've been there. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. But God graciously answers Moses in a way that points to our application. That's where 6 1 comes in. When he said 5 was pivotal, it really should carry into verse 1 of chapter 6, but I'm sure Nate will pick up on this as well as again. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. We're right back to Psalm 46.10. I will be exalted in the heavens. I will be exalted among the earth. I am God. There is no other. My name will be known one way or another. Even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of pain, even in the... When, when your spouse does the thing your spouse does, it aggravates you. When the kids are going off the rails, when COVID's going crazy, when the bank account's flat, I'll be God. I'm still here. I'm still going to be glorified. You're in a tough time. Turn to me is what he's saying. Turn to me. But how does he get there? I think of Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. He can take Pharaoh and spin him around in any way he wants. There is no one greater, no one stronger, no more loving, no more faithful, no more kind, no more generous, and no one that deserves more exaltation than our God. And that's, I think, what we're trying to get out of this, friends. God will do whatever he wishes with Pharaoh because he is God. And you know what? He'll get the glory for it. This is not an easy passage. This is not an easy chapter. After 400 years, all of a sudden, God comes to rescue us, and it's trouble. And what about nowadays when we come forward or we go to the pastor or we get on our face and we cry out to Jesus? I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I know you love me more than anything in the world. It's your kindness that leads to repentance. And we accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, that accepts Christ as his being on the throne and his being leading us and his being guiding us and his plan of action, not our own. And his job always has been to glorify God 
by going to the cross. And if Christ goes to the cross to make God's glory shine among the world, what makes us think that our life might be a little bit easier? But there's hope in the midst of this. There's hope in the midst of this. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation in fear with trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's tough to think of that when we're down in the valley, but God is doing something in your life all the time. There's not a hair on your head that he misses. There's not a breath that he, you take that he doesn't understand or have control over. Not a beat of your heart. Not a foot that you place anywhere that he doesn't know about. God cares that much about you. And he knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for his church. But we've got to trust him. We've got to trust him. As we were talking a little this morning with some of the music team, we don't learn well in the good times. We learn better when things are tough. When the persecution comes, when the heartaches and the hardships come, that's when the lessons really get driven home. There was a guy by the name of Blaise Pascal, who was a 17th century mathematician and theologian. He said, God reaches us in two ways. One with beauty. I love going to the beach. I've already scheduled our vacation. Go back to Treasure Island in Florida. The West Coast sunsets are absolutely phenomenal. The cry of a newborn baby. The new tulips my wife has all over the place popping up. That's beautiful stuff. But God also gets us in the heartaches when you read the headlines and you read the tough times. And the world is crashing all around us. That's when we should be crying out to God. And that's usually when we do. Think about this. Of all the people you know that came to Christ, how many came down an easy path? Not very many, I would say. Most of us have to have a whole lot of bumps and bruises. Because we don't learn easy. We learn the hard ways. But sometimes we think, God doesn't know where I am. He's been kind of quiet. I haven't heard from him. Does he really care? Does he understand? Psalm 139, 1 through 3. David writes, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. Am I lying down and are acquainted with all my ways? God's got his eye on you all the time. Not a sparrow drops to the ground without him knowing it. Are we not worth more than a sparrow, Jesus said? That's a beautiful thing. Where are you standing right now? What's life like in your world? Maybe you're on the mountaintop. Maybe things are cruising along nice and smooth. You're above the clouds at about 30,000 feet. Well, guess what? Sooner or later, you've got to drop back down to earth, and things are going to get a little bit rough. Or maybe you're in the midst of a trial thinking, I can't deal with this. Cry out to God for the strength, for the hope, for the deliverance. But understand, it's his timing that's best, and his way that's best, and his glory that's preeminent. But he gives it to us anyway. Let me close with a benediction from God's word for the message here. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 20 and 21, Now may the God of peace who brought you again from the dead, our Lord, brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, 
equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a beautiful thing. And I pray that for you this morning, that you would understand no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how tough or good or sideways or south or north, whatever's going on, God's with you. And he is doing something in you and doing something to you to do something through you. We always should be on mission. We always should be on point to share the gospel. God wants to put us in places where we can do that, to glorify the name of Jesus. That What does it say in Scripture? At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the God the Father. God wants to work in you to make you more like him. And to bring you together as Jesus and him are one, us as one as well. So as we close, I just, just ponder this. Do you trust him? You trusted him enough for your salvation to control your soul throughout all of eternity. Can you not trust him here in the temporal times until he calls us home or comes back and gets us? It's never going to be easy. But God never fails. Father, we thank you for today. Your word this morning was a very tough passage, Lord. And... Uh, I did try and end it with hope. I'm not really sure that I did, though, Father. May you work in our hearts as we ponder this. May we go back and reread this or do whatever is necessary to uh, bring glory to your name. Uh, you help us to understand that while things are very, very tough maybe right now, or very good, that either way, Father, you and you alone deserve the praise. May you give us the hope we need and we... We desperately need it now, Father, that COVID will go away, that the world will get a little bit more right, that we'll start loving each other as you have desired and commanded us in Scripture, that we won't grow weary in doing good, for in due time we will reap a harvest, whatever that harvest may be in our lives. For those that don't know you, let Lord, don't have not surrendered to you, I pray that they wouldn't take this as a message of fear, but a message of hope. Because no matter what happens on earth, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that, Father, is what we really need to know. As we close with a time of communion, as we close with song, as we close with prayer and a benediction and readings, Father, maybe you just empower your spirit to guide us into what we need to know. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.